Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, sitting here with Thomas P. Dorian. Present. P is for a present. Yes. The P is for a present. Thomas That's Present exactly Dorian. Right. Yes. My wingman and sidekick. I'm glad you're here. Glad to be here. And I, I'm glad you brought your friend. I brought a friend. You brought a buddy. You to never the luxurious corner booth. Yeah, yeah. Well, we asked him, so this we knew. More we like a know. bodyguard, man. He's not like a friend. He's yeah, he's six eight. I know, he's and he's slayed in the spirit, so you don't know what's no, going to happen. You better be, you better be ready. <laughs> exactly. We've got John Edwards in the luxurious corner booth, and John is—I uh, don't know—you're you're you're a cool guy. You're an amazing story. Don't you love being a story? Yeah, but I, I want to know who told you I was friends with Tom Dory. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's not always a good. That's not always a good thing. Here we go. Yeah, it's going to start. The fun begin. Man, we're sitting on either side of you. It's going to get tough for Thomas P. Two on one. It's going yeah. downhill from here. So, so John, <laughs> you know, uh, you have an amazing story of conversion in your life, and I think a lot of people think like, well, you know, I'm doing pretty good in life, and uh, I think I love Jesus, and everything's going all right. Um, but but I think sometimes uh, it's kind of like the the concept of um, you know appreciating a warm shower only after having cold showers yeah. for a long period of time. You you had a you had some pretty cold showers uh, yeah. in your life, and so I, I thought it'd be a good idea to ask you here um, on the Catholic Cafe to sort of I mean kind of talk about your journey because I would imagine that there's a lot of folks out there listening who who might share some pieces of this, maybe not to some of the extremes, but to, to to share some of this or know someone or be married to someone who they think is going through this right now. And so maybe you can help us just kind of um, I mean, shine a light on on you know your own journey, but maybe that would be reflected in other people's lives as well. Yeah, sure. So um, tell me, like, so let's start from the, the beginning. Like, okay. you're, you're, you're an okay regular guy, right? Well, I don't know if you could always say that, but I was... <laughs> oh, don't be tough. I was fairly normal at one time. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, I was I was raised Baptist here in Memphis and uh, spent a lot of time in my faith and and uh, a lot of time at church on mission trips and, and just a lot of evangelical stuff. And, you know, that came to an end at 18. You know, a lot of us, as, as we do, we grow up and go to college or, right. or get a full-time job or whatever it is. And a lot of my friends just kind of disappeared and it left me in a lonely place in my life and... Uh, Without that guidance and that camaraderie, I just I strove to fit in somewhere, and that was here in, in uh, college at Memphis, and joined a fraternity, and you know the things there. You know, I fell into a lot of what people fall into, which is yeah. drugs and alcohol and chasing women and I, everything else. I think it's important to kind of reiterate that you had like sort of the normal childhood, like you had all the church stuff, the mission trips, and you had the schooling, and you you, you knew the stuff. Yeah. But the but but then the, like the sort of lack of community. Right, maybe being around those people still that was detrimental to you, yeah, it was I just I was a guy that always I, I didn't feel comfortable by myself, you know, I needed camaraderie, I needed people around me and and you know when that went away, I just I, for the first time in my life, I was sort of lost, you know, I didn't know where to go and and you know the the uh, temptation you weren't, you weren't like a bad kid getting into a lot of trouble no, and stuff did you no i mean i I never was. I mean, more than, you know, the torturing my sisters or something yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah. Yeah. But no, there was no, I was never had any trouble with the law or anything, you know, um, not until later in life. But right. um, but no, I just, I was a guy that, that just 
you know, I strove to fit in. And if it was drinking, then I was going to do it. And if it was doing drugs, then it was, I was going to do it. You know, whatever was popular and made people like me, that's what I was going to do. So, like, in, in that college world, you start to get involved in this kind of stuff. And I mean, it was so often we see that. I mean, it's just like, yeah. you're probably the only person, John, ever in the history of college <laughs> to go a little crazy with a fraternity. Right. You know? And so I imagine we all realize that that happens. And a lot of people kind of grow out of that. Um, but if you do trace back, like, people who are alcoholics, they'll sometimes tell you if they came from a normal family, yeah, but you know what? In my college years, you just kind of went a little crazy. And then it never stopped. Right. Now, for you, did it ever stop after that, or you just kind of kept doing it? Or no, I just I kept doing it. Um, you know, it started out as fun. Just, just you know, I had a problem with cocaine, and I, I would do that for fun on Friday nights. You know, we're going to do this, go out, have a good time, and then all of a sudden it shifted from you know being a way to stay up and to stay out late to that's all we were doing. We no longer were we going out. We were just getting together to do drugs, and, right? You know, and, and the core group of guys kind of. We just kind of fell off from the rest of the guys because people started to realize that and didn't want to be around it, you know. And so we were kind of the misfits. And um, slowly my life began to be consumed by it. And some of these guys got girlfriends, and they were still doing it. But it just – the desire and the addiction had started, and I started doing it on my own. Did you recognize it was an addiction at that time? Did you recognize that you were going to have trouble stopping or or that you you suddenly needed to do this? Not really. I mean, it was – it was just became habit. I mean, just like brushing your teeth in the morning. I'm going to I'm going to get off work and I'm going to go get a 12 pack of beer and a little bit of coke and some pack of cigarettes and that's going to be my night. And that's Man. where we came. I See, mean. that's different than me. When I was growing up, it's like my Friday nights consisted of a bag of, of nacho cheese flavored Doritos <laughs> and a Pepsi. <laughs> and if it was a good night, I had Twinkies. So, yeah. like to me, that was uh, that I was, was more my... into fiery nachos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <were> you? <laughs> good for you, they didn't have them when I was a kid. And I, and I, so a lot of people hear this going like, "Well, my kid's not into drugs. My kid's not into doing that kind of yeah. stuff." So that's I don't have to worry about that. But you know how, how innocently you kind of slid into that. Yeah. And it, so even if your kid's not doing that or the person you love is not doing that it doesn't mean that we can't fall into that mm-hmm. uh and, and that's something we should always be on top of isn't it yeah it, it's it's easier than you would think you know uh it's everywhere now it's really prevalent doesn't matter there's drugs everywhere no matter what kind it could be pills in your parents call you know pill cabinet i mean there's anything out there and in I experienced a lot of that in college. People were using anything they could to just get the next high, to have the next you know amount right. of fun, and and it's very dangerous. I mean, it, it it left me in a in a very dark place in my life, and I became very lonely, um, very self obsessed, very uh, immature, and um, just selfish. You know, I, I didn't really care about anything else but what I was going to do, when I wanted to do it, how I was going to feel. I mean, even the way I treated women at that point, I didn't. They were just Mm-hmm. Another way to have fun. Yeah, but so some, something changed a little bit. At least you see in your life that God... Uh, how did you meet your beautiful wife, Angela? Where did, where did she come into the picture of all this stuff? At a bar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it wasn't that kind of night. Um, we just we ran into each other. I'd known her in college, and uh, we reconnected, and something special happened that night. We just we hit it off and um, just started to date. And, and, and uh, she told me that she was Catholic, and... As we got serious uh, and started discussing marriage, she told me I'd have to be Catholic to marry her, and um, I told her I wasn't going to do that. And then when I became Catholic, um, <laughs> I, uh, we got married shortly thereafter and, and uh, had three children. But you know, um, did you still have this habit though? Yeah, I did. I, it now, does was, she know this? 
she had caught me a few times and she was around some of the guys she had dated a friend of mine in college and and so he was one that did it too and she had been around it but she just assumed that you know hey people have grown up and we're moving on with our lives and, right and i didn't you know i i still it became fun for me and i didn't have to go anywhere to have fun i could sit at home and do these things i didn't need people and i remember she was always saying why don't we go anywhere why don't we ever do anything and it upset her and it but i didn't need that because i had my had drugs and my beer and my couch and my mm. you know grizzlies game or whatever that was on and and uh you know i really didn't nurture those needs in her life and that caused problems and uh, you know my mother died shortly after that she she uh she got breast cancer and it moved throughout her body and she died and uh i didn't i didn't ever grieve the way i should have i Angel tried to help me. I wouldn't let people in. I, the only time I really got upset was when I was in the shower and by myself. And, you know, it would be very quick. And then, you know, it was out. And I'd get angry. I began to hate God. You know, I didn't really, from the time I joined the fraternity, I didn't really go to church anymore. Yeah. Um, I did with Angela just to check the box so she'd marry me. Right. And uh, I didn't uphold that promise after we got married. I was always fighting. I was hungover. I didn't feel good. I, I didn't want to go. I did everything I could to not go to church on Sundays. Mm. And I didn't realize how detrimental that would be to our relationship. And once our children were born to them, you know, I mean, we all want to raise good kids, you know, take them to church. Now, you know that you can't live life this way. You recognized you couldn't continue to live life for eternity this way, that that something something had to give. Right. Right. So for you, what was that sort of what what, what finally collapsed or? Well, I uh, one day. you know, I went to this thing here locally, Men's Morning of Spirituality, and, uh, you know, things had gone wrong in my life. I, there was a couple nights where I sat up and I got a scare. My heart went out of control a couple nights and scared me really bad. And um, luckily, I was able to calm that and keep that from my wife. But um, Men's Morning had popped up, and, and I just knew I'd been once before, and there'd be an opportunity for confession, and I really wanted that in my life. I'd never really truly given a confession in my life. And so I found a priest I didn't know there. Yeah. Went, yeah. uh, at least I, don't, I didn't know at the time. I, I'm sure he uh, probably wished I'd picked another door. But um, I loaded everything on him and just cried like a you know like a baby and just told myself I was done with it. I asked for God's help and He gave me absolution and uh, it lasted for about four days. And it, it just so happened that um, Holy Thursday was four days later. And I had sold something at work. I'm a salesman by trade and. I don't know if it was just old habits that fired up, but um, you know, I had gone out before, gone home, and poured out the drugs, thrown out the cigarettes, poured out the beer, and just said, "I'm going to be different." And that day, I just had a desire, and I gave into it. And that was the wrong day to give into it. I wound up being arrested that day. They were watching the mm-hmm. guy's house, and I wound up in 201 on Holy Thursday. 201 Poplar is yeah. where we take all the folks get arrested yeah, here in yeah. our city but uh yeah, don't go there yeah <laughs> so you were there on on was it holy thursday when you were there yes yeah. it was it was holy thursday um i was supposed to be picking up my son from my father-in-law my wife had no idea where i was um luckily when they started to take me downtown to uh jail one of the police officers handed me my phone and uh, allowed me to call my wife I was scared. I didn't want to. It's just another opportunity in my life I took to be concerned about myself instead yeah. of my wife. And uh, I called her, and she told me, you know, I'm so disappointed. I hate you. You've ruined our life and all of that. And I spent that night uh, in, in jail. And the next morning um, when I woke up, it was 4 in the morning when I really finally got to a cell. And I'd never been in jail. I was scared to death and hadn't eaten, hadn't slept. It was just terrible. And 
I just passed out. And the next morning I got up and I'll never forget just throwing my legs over the side of the bed and realizing it wasn't a dream and that this was my life and I was going to have to face it. And the anxiety and the worry and the just the, the sick at your stomach feeling set in and I begin to shake and just and just think about how did I get here and and you know just to the point where my heart started beating so fast I thought I might have a heart attack sitting in that five mm. by five cell and and all of a sudden this feeling just came over me and, and of calmness and it felt like the weight of the world that had been on me for years of all these lies because I, I lied to everybody you know I, I um I, I half the time I couldn't tell you what I told anybody because mm-hmm. I was so busy trying to maintain this this mask of this guy that had it all together and provided for his family and did all these things and and in that moment you know God just sent me this this thought and this realization of you know this is terrible and all but at least people will know who I am at least I don't have to lie anymore and this calm came over and and I had a conversation with God in there and we walked out of that jail cell together you know I, my life was sort of over that night my old life I made a decision that I was going to be better. I was, if I had the opportunity with my wife to be with her and to be a, continue to be a father to my children, then that's what I was going to do. That's beautiful because it, you know when you you went to confession and you you think that like, hey, I've confessed my sins and now everything's all better, and really you didn't really get the uh, the blessing, the grace of the confession really came to you in jail. Right. I think at that moment, which is kind of a hard reality. But God is, keeps his promises, and right. so he gave you a new life. So we have more to talk. We're talking to John Edwards about his amazing uh, story of conversion. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk more to John on the other side of this break. But before we take that break, I want to remind folks at home, we've got a great website, thecatholiccafe.com. Also, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email, deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. With that, we'll be right back. And this is another great moment in church history. How can someone so small and weak in the eyes of the world have such a tremendous impact on the spiritual lives of millions around the globe? St. Therese of Lisieux, better known as the Little Flower, was this small person. Born in France over a century ago, she has changed the spiritual landscape of the entire world. St. Therese believed that little things done with great love were more pleasing to God than the mightiest deeds. She wrote, Love proves itself by deeds, so how am I to show my love? Great deeds are forbidden me. The only way I can prove my love is by scattering little flowers. And these flowers are every little sacrifice, every glance and word, and the doing of the least action for love. The little flower grew up as the youngest of five living children. She was a sensitive child who felt things deeply. These deep feelings and her thoughtful attitude led her to a strong prayer life at a very young age. By her own account, she would find a quiet place and spend hours contemplating the love of the Heavenly Father. As Therese entered her teen years, her older sisters began to go into religious life. This led the little flower to seek entrance to the Carmelite Monastery at the tender age of 14. She was initially refused by the superiors of the order, but her persistence paid off by taking her appeal all the way to the Pope in Rome. The superiors of the order were impressed by her persistence and maturity and allowed her to enter the Carmelite order at the age of 15. 
The next nine years were spent in quiet contemplation and service inside the tiny convent in Lisieux. Toward the end of her time in the convent, she began to suffer from the effects of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, a deadly infectious disease that attacks the lungs, leaves the sufferer with a chronic cough, fever, night sweats, and weight loss. St. Therese suffered seriously from this disease. She was reported to have said, I have reached the point of not being able to suffer anymore because all suffering is sweet to me. She accepted her affliction as a gift from God and saw it as a sign of his friendship with her. Little everyday things done in great love can lead us to a life of grace and deeper union with Christ. The little flower can show us the way. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I am Deacon Jeff, and as a matter of fact, and I'm sitting here with Tom Dorian, and we yes, are talking to John Edwards. We are. Yes. And uh, John is recounting, or has rec- recounted, uh, just sort of a really dark, which was a lot of your life. Yeah. You know, you know kind of a wasted young adulthood. Yeah. But but God saw a little potential in, you know, if you don't mind my saying. No, it. That, don't sugarcoat it. But, uh, yeah, I'm not I was pretty wasted. Uh, <laughs> But you were not so wasted you didn't recognize that God sent you Angela, right? Right. In, in, your, in your life. And even though you didn't fully appreciate, and you, you tried to blow that up, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And, and so we, we, you find yourself now on, you know, while most of us, all of us good Catholics, are, you know, going to the, the Paschal Triduum, you know, we're all going to Holy Thursday, and we're going to go to Good Friday, and we're doing all the right things, and we've already gone shopping, and, you know, we're getting ready for Easter Sunday morning, and some of us are going to go to Easter Vigil. We're thinking about all that holy stuff, and you find yourself in a jail cell, and you have an encounter with God there. Mm-hmm. Pretty powerful that God will be present to you. I mean, at Easter, you know, the time of the resurrection, and now you have this opportunity to be resurrected, or to see some reality of redemption in your life. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was powerful. I mean, it, I, I'll never forget being in that cell. But I, I truly think that that had to happen for me to change my life. I don't think that I would have changed it otherwise. Um, that that stuff just has too strong of a grip on you, and and you know, it, I he just he had to do that in my life. And I, you know, I remember walking out of that cell, and and uh, my wife and and my mother in law had come to visit, and basically told me they were bonding me out, and. You know, my wife said, I'm not going to divorce you is the first thing she said. She goes, if that's what you're worried about, I'm not. I married you. I honor the vows of the Catholic Church. And um, she said, wow. but you can't come home. Um, you know, your sister will come get you tonight. You're supposed to get out about 9. And so I, I go walking out of this jail cell at 9 o'clock at night. And it wasn't my sister. It was my father mm. that had driven here uh, two hours to pick me up from his farm in Mississippi. And so you can imagine, you know, it's like a little boy seeing his dad when he's done something wrong. And and just, I, I thought, oh, man. I bet you there are a lot of yes sirs. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. sir. Yes, well, sir. you know, it was odd. You know, I, my dad was stern when we were younger. and, and But he just, he just kind of looked at me and he said, John, I love you. You know, are you okay? That was the first wow. things he asked. And and uh, he, he he was very, um, he had a plan. He was like, we got to buy your house, got to get your clothes, and then we'll go to Bruce, and which is where he lives. And... I remember walking to my house and looking at it empty. Um, she had gone to her parents with the kids and just that sinking feeling of what's what's my life going to be after this. And 
and we jumped in the car and that was probably the realest time i've ever had in my life with my father we just we talked about things and and you know he just continued to tell me he loved me and hope that it wasn't a mistaken fatherhood or, or or a role that he had played in leading me down the wrong path and it just that in itself was heartbreaking and so we we went down to my uh to his farm and uh, Easter Sunday, I got up and I just had this desire to go to church, you know, to, just to be with God. I couldn't be with my family, and I was so, I felt so much guilt for Angela because she has a huge family, and I knew that she was going to have to walk in and be the with the elephant in the room that nobody wanted to talk about, but yeah. everybody knew. And uh, but just, see, again, I, I'm going to point out that like all your your preparation for this, even though like you you have been saying that you yeah. you were wasted for so many of these years, yeah. the reality is. When you became Catholic, you got confirmed, and so there's these gifts that are given to you at confirmation. They've been dormant in you, but then also you see how God has has has, has come to work in your life by by giving you Angela in the first place, by sending your dad, right. by by coming to you in this jail cell, by telling you that you that you are loved to help you know that you're loved through your father. How powerful mm-hmm. yeah. that had to be for you, right? So you weren't you were starting to realize God in your life. Maybe, yeah. like, really for the first time. Yeah, I definitely had two fathers tell me they yeah. loved me that night. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just did, and I think that's why he called me to church on Sunday, you know. There's this little bitty place in Bruce, Mississippi that it's a little room that has a service, and uh, I was able to make it over there, and, and I'd been there a couple times before, and this priest comes up to me after a beautiful service and says, you know, calls me by name, hey, John, and, it, you know, that kind of surprised me, and he says, you know, I don't know why your family's not here, but God told me to tell you everything's going to be all right. Wow. Mm. And uh, he said, I hope to see you soon. And uh, I went home and went back to Memphis uh, on that Monday and dealt with my work. They had found out and right. uh, dealt with the court system. and um, A lot of owning up to do. A lot of just yeah. the, 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 now that the light has been shown on you, a revelation. Everyone knows who John Edwards is. Right. John knows who John is. Right, right. Right. Everybody knows. So there's no more secrets. There's no more hiding. To some that might actually be a little liberating. It is. It was a blessing. It was, I'll never forget how I felt going to that meeting with my bosses because I, I could see the look on their face like they expected me to come in and be a mess and just, but I wasn't concerned with that. I was concerned with getting through that, getting over to a behavioral center here in Memphis to figure out exactly how deep into all this I was and trying to find, get my wife and my children back in my life. I, I was very, just matter of fact, yes, I've done this this long. Yes, this is when, how it went. Yes, this is a problem. No, I never did it at work. Just went through all that stuff. And I and, uh, had my dad drive me over shortly thereafter, the behavioral center. And, uh, you know, my wife, I didn't know where she was, where the kids were, anything. We hadn't been in a lot of contact. And as they call me back into the area to be looked at, um, the door opens up. And there was just people coming in, you know, one after another that were further and further, just mm-hmm. deeper in addiction. And um, I look up, and there's my wife. And she's standing there, and I'm, you know, what are you doing here? And she says, John, I'm mad at you, but I I couldn't let you go through this alone. Mm. And I just broke down into tears. And that someone would love me. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's, that someone would love another person that much. Everything I put her through, because it wasn't just the drugs, it was that all affected how I treated her, how I talked to her, how I, I didn't appreciate anything. It was always about what I wanted all the time. And for someone to put up with that and then still be there with plenty of grounds for, I'm taking the kids, I'm taking half of your stuff, all of that could happen. Mm -hmm. And she would have plenty of reason. No one would have thought bad of her for that. Mm -hmm. And for her to walk into a place like that and then invite me back into our home that night, um, was amazing. Man, that's, that's unconditional amazing. love, right? There. Yeah, that is yeah. that is that is unconditional love, yeah. Tom. You're right. That's just like amazing. It's so beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And 
I mean, I know there's lots more details in how you right. stepped into where you are today, but fast forward, you know, that was the beginning of like a, really, a, literally a resurrection um, right, yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and amazing things have been happening. You, you've, uh, you've started like a group at your church now. What, mm-hmm. what, tell me about that group. Well, you know, when, when I gave up the drugs and alcohol, I had to find something else to take up my time, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't just sit around and because you tend to have thoughts that wander, right? And comics so. didn't appeal to you. It wasn't comic golf. You were never no, really good no, golf. no, no. It was comic to watch me play golf. Yeah. But uh, but no, I you know I was involved in the men's club at Holy Rosary, and it's a great organization. You know, they have a good time. They raise money. But I began to notice things. You know, in my free time, I'd, I'd started reading a lot of scripture. I was praying a ton. I just was insatiable, this hunger to know more about my faith. And I'd started to go to daily mass at Holy Rosary. Um, the father there at the time, Father Martel, had taken me under his wing, and he had proved to me that I didn't, that I was a good person and that there was plenty there to build with and to mm-hmm. work with. So um, one, one day um, after another MMOS, you know, a guy at church had had this, this conversion too, and, and he wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit. And so we sat down and talked, and he said we should start a group. And one night, we invited 15 guys that had no clue while they were there, you know. Um, and we walked in there into a room full of guys, and I stood up and told my story and cried like a baby and just said, you know, guys, this men's club we've got is great, but the only time we ever talk about God is when we bless the food. And as men, we need to be better than that. And, you know, just told everybody I'd been arrested for cocaine, and a lot of people that thought they knew me uh, had some weird looks on their face. But, <sighs> but the most amazing thing happened after that that vulnerability every man in the room stood up one by one after and said i'm a bad dad or i care more about my job and money than i do my family or i'm going through a divorce whatever it may be and and it was that night that something special happened i began to realize that every man walks this earth with pain you know maybe it's from addiction maybe it's from pornography or whatever it is but we all have pain and pain's universal you know you might have a broken leg and i have a broken arm they both hurt doesn't matter how they hurt we're 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 accustomed to that pain and we can through that pain we can figure out a way to be better and that even that's what we started to do and and we're at 15 to 18 strong every wednesday night and it's changing a lot of men's see lives. how god's using you though this is what's amazing to me it's like as, as much as you walked away from him he's always been coming back to you and offering himself to you and this is the way we need to see our lives as broken as we might be you might know people that are broken John, you're an amazing story of resurrection, of redemption, and we all know people like this. Some of us might be those people, but there's hope. God loves us so much. He's shown that in you, and I know he wants to show it to whoever's listening to this right now, that there is hope for redemption, hope for transformation, and love in the world, isn't there? That's right. So let's ask our Blessed Mother to intercede on our behalf. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners, now and in the the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta, Federal Association, and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from the Most Reverend Martin D. Holly, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.